This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Good morning, everybody. Good afternoon, good whatever time of day it is. I am your host, Sam LaCrosse. Welcome to another episode of this podcast. Can you dig it? I can. I am still getting used to this mic, by the way. I don't know. I, I think the audio quality sounded pretty good. I, I didn't really, I didn't use it when I talked to Kel last week, but um, my computer audio, I got a Mac, so I mean, it's it's pretty good, but I'm still getting used to all this stuff. I hooked the headphones up as well. Last week, I bought three sets of headphones and three of these, you know, pretty good mics. At least I think they're pretty good mics. And I did not know how to work any of that shit at all. Like when I started to hook it up last week, I barely got the fucking mic to work right. So I was wearing headphones and kind of muffling my own hearing without needing to because it didn't get the sound wired through the headphones and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, beside the point, I am happy that I have the mic. I can, um, I don't have to fucking, you know, bend forward every single time. I could, I could just, I could lend back. There's no interference. Overall sound quality is better. It's great. So I am very, very happy to them. I'm blanking on the name of the microphone maker, but you are a godsend. I'm just hoping that this clip on, it clips onto my desk, which is weird because I, I'd never seen it before. I always thought it was going to be a standing mic, but it's a clip on mic. And so if I wanted to just kind of, you know, if it moves too much, the whole thing is just going to fall. The whole apparatus is going to, you know, fall down and we're going to have another situation in our hands. But anyways, you guys don't care about that. Hopefully you'll care about this. So this is a topic that I am very, very passionate about. I wrote a lot about it in my first book, Value Economics. And it's kind of the cornerstone for the way I see a lot of the world. It's a concept that has really helped. I would say it's been a paradigm shift in the way that I have seen myself, seen the world, seen other people, seen my relationships with other people. Um, and it's, it's just an overall very, very valuable concept, hence why it kicks off value economics, at least to my point it is. So that topic is self-awareness. We're going to take a deep dive into it today. Um, I actually had a very, very good time writing this post. It kind of came at a perfect time. I just finished a book, which you'll learn about later. That was really, really good and dealt with a very, uh, a person, excuse me, if you're reading this on don'treadthisblog.com, you'll see him at the top and hint, it's not Obama. Obama's also up there and Obama's also a very interesting character, but this, we're talking about the other interesting character in the picture, we'll get, which we'll get to in a second. But this is a topic I'm very, very passionate about. I preach it a lot to the people that will listen, my friends, my family members, uh, people who ask me about, you know, advice or anything, if they're stupid enough to ask me for advice about shit. But anyways, so regardless of all of that kind of, stuff that we had surrounding the topic. This is the topic in and of itself. I'm very passionate about it. I think you guys should be too. And without further ado, let's get right into it. It's hard to find heroes in modern America. In a day where seemingly anyone and anything can and is used as a cultural or political cudgel to hang a talking point noose around the neck of your opponent, 
The art of constructive idolization in our country is sadly and slowly diminished into nothing. There are no longer any activists, actors, or presidents that can seemingly talk to anyone about anything. The days of Gandhi, John Wayne, and JFK are long gone, as it seems. This is a very strange and very concerning thing. A society without heroes ceases to be a society. When a culture's heroes go extinct, that culture itself is never too far from behind in its own destruction. A culture needs pedestals to stand upon. Institutions are absolutely necessary. But the people that build them are just as, if not more, important. America would not be America without the founding, founding fathers. Civil rights would not be civil rights without Martin Luther King. Hollywood would not be Hollywood without Vivian Leigh. There must be people who can be looked on as beacons. If not, that institution falls into darkness and decay. And in our decentralized world, these heroes are increasingly hard to produce and even harder to sustain. The internet has allowed for some of this, ranging from intellectuals like Jordan Peterson to podcasters like Jocko Willing to overall thought leaders like Joe Rogan. However, even those men have had their detractors. They're not without any debate nor without criticism. And I would argue that's a healthy thing. We should hold our heroes to high standards. This is because the one downfall with heroes is that, no matter how much you pretend they're not, all human beings are fallible. And with the man who perhaps best, fit, best fits the description most of all, he provides a shining example of both the positive and negative that comes with hero worship in the modern age and this culture. Anthony Bourdain is perhaps the most unlikely icon America has ever produced. The now-deceased celebrity chef who came to both prominence after nearly a half a century toiling in obscurity is both the antithesis and poster boy for the American dream. On one hand, Anthony Bourdain was a degenerate, often intoxicated, and spiteful curmudgeon that many people complain in social media comments about their parents and grandparents. On the other hand, Anthony Bourdain was a tale of remarkable determination, grit, and resolve, an unflappable star just waiting for his chance to shoot across the sky. And when he was finally given his chance to do so, we all got to see both sides unfold. Late last year, his unauthorized biography, Down and Out in Paradise, was released to the public to mass fanfare and media speculation. I came upon the book while in Barnes & Noble with my mom and brother over Thanksgiving. Only having seen a few episodes of his last show, Parts Unknown, I had no investment in the life of Anthony Bourdain, not nearly as much as so many others. However, like those others, I was captivated by his personality, the ultimate mystique that drew so many from so far away to the otherwise uneventful industry of cable cooking and travel shows. I immediately ordered it when I got back to Texas and finished it last week. This move in and of itself was uncommon for me because I'm incredibly distrustful of unauthorized biographies. I sadly have observed that in most cases, they are mostly used by the author as one of three things. An attempt to make money, an attempt to smear a person's character or name, or both. And the third option, by the way, is by far the most likely. However, there is one thing that the unauthorized biography saving grace, the one thing that is, gives them hope should they be done right, is the ability to be neutral. Too often, when a biographer and the subject of said biography are too cozy with one another, the exact opposite effect can take place. What should be a beautiful art form that should take an unvarnished look at an individual's life becomes a narcissistic and vain puff piece. And this, like the other scenario, is a travesty. As said, heroes of society have so much wisdom not just in what they say, but how they live their lives and affect those around them. When we are robbed of that, we are robbed of knowing truly what they, who they are as human beings and how we might learn from them. So... On this point, I think that Down and Out and its author, Charles Learsden, did mostly a good job. This analysis is highlighted on a central fact, one that I believe that everyone who is a fan of Bourdain, if honest, can admit. And that is that Anthony Bourdain was a very complicated and flawed person. This should not come as a surprise, exactly, considering that every single one of us can fit that exact description. However, remember what I said about heroes earlier. 
Sometimes our idolatry of them can get in the way of truly seeing who they were, and this is especially true in the case of Anthony Bourdain. The loveliness of Learsden's work was that it showed all of the great qualities about Bourdain, notably his remarkable ambition and zest for life. But on the flip side, it also showed something that Bourdain's biggest fans often love to conveniently sweep under the rug, his outstanding stubbornness surrounding his own self-perception. The most shocking aspect about Bourdain falls in line with his ambition. Bourdain so wanted to be liked as a chef and a writer, so wanted to be viewed in the public eye as an oxymoronic rebel and compatriot of that exact same system, that he was willing to do whatever it took to preserve his reputation. Much of what he conveyed to the public, both as a restaurateur and a television personality, was exaggerated at its kindest and a lie at its harshest. Many of the people who contributed to the book, who conveniently for Learson's paycheck remained anonymous, said that Bourdain was not exactly as talented as a chef of one that would eventually travel the world eating food for a living. He was, mostly, a steak frites specialist who dove just enough into Americanized French cuisine to talk down to his competitors about how much theirs sucked. His writing ability wasn't particularly desirable either. He, like most writers, languished in both obscurity and poverty until he hit it big with a piece in The New Yorker that would eventually evolve into his masterpiece that launched him into the public eye, Kitchen Confidential, in the year 2000. The pattern that was consistent among Bourdain's life, the one that colored everything he did, was his rampant excess of abusive addiction. A lifelong alcoholic who eventually turned to psychedelics and heroin with multiple self-destructive relationships and marriages, Bourdain was constantly self-medicating, showing up to set in the restaurant drunk and high. He would frequently engage in back-end kitchen debauchery by sneaking bumps of coke with his co-workers and smoking, cr smoking crank out of tinfoil. Later on in his life, as he weaned off the drugs but kept the booze and the cigarettes, his awkward 6'4 frame became ordained with mangled and stretched tattoos, which fit incredibly well with his hilarious, stark, and witty personality. Bourdain was lovable because he was, he was relatable. He was, at the end of the day, a chef. Lots of normal Americans cook food for a living, including everyone that doesn't cook food for a living. Lots of them work in horrendous conditions like the back of a Manhattan steak frites joint, waiting for the clock to strike the end of their shifts they can spend the few minutes they get with their wife and kids telling them how much their life actually sucks. But these people, at least hopefully, have a fundamental difference from Bourdain. They're able to listen to feedback. No matter how much Bourdain drove his life to extraordinary heights, no matter how many people he made smile, no matter how much of the world he showed us, I can guarantee you that zero of his true fans wanted to see him hang himself from a bathroom doorknob in the middle of nowhere French village. They wanted him to sober up. They wanted him to blaze his own trail and not destroy himself and his family, most specifically his young daughter, in the process. But that is exactly what happened. It's a tale that is, unfortunately, as old as time. The wise thing to ask in this scenario, and every other single one like it, is this. Why? Why did someone as cool and as loved as Anthony Bourdain fuck his whole life up trying to be cool and loved? <clears throat> the thing that Anthony Bourdain struggled with, particularly in his relationships with others, was his lack of self-awareness about who he really was. People with a clear sense of identity and what they stand for do not do the things that Anthony Bourdain did. That route is taken by people who are lost within themselves, who do not see the changes in lives as things that naturally happen, but things to be avoided and feared at all costs. This lack of an identity was, the embedded, was that embedded in who Anthony Bourdain actually was, not in who he desired himself to be. I'm going to start that sentence over again. That was shitty. Um, this lack of an identity that was embedded in who Anthony Bourdain actually was, not in who he desired himself to be, was the thing that led to the destruction of him and his family in an incredibly public fashion. It was what led him to kill himself over a vile Italian actress who took advantage of him for social media clout. It was what led to him to ignore his daughter for two-thirds of the year, jet-setting around the world, stoned on poppy and malt beer. 
Without a clear identity of himself and what he was doing to others, all that was left for Bourdain to do was experience the inevitable and natural pain that came with that type of lifestyle. Many of us have a conflation of our self-perception and how we deal with other people. But not many of us realize that how we come across can be troublesome to a lot of people and by relation to ourselves. Our inability to successfully interact with the world lies in direct correlation with our ability to successfully diagnose who we are as an individual person. Without that internal standing with yourself, it is impossible to know where you stand with the world and how it will eventually treat you. In my book, Value Economics, I base the entire concept of value-based identities on the bedrock of self-awareness by design. It is the cornerstone of the factors of value production, the ultimate value that I recommend everyone have inside their value systems in order to live a healthy and productive life that yields positive benefit to those and the people you surround yourself with. This is a societal problem. We need much more of it if we are to improve and survive going into a time where constant change and competing value systems are everywhere. Further, if we are to make our society better, if we are to continue our upward trajectory of progress, a self-aware society composed of self-aware individuals is as good a place to start as any. And to begin, we must first start by seeing what self-awareness makes it so important for all of us to have. Second, we must understand why self-awareness is the number one thing that we should all value in life. And lastly, we must see how we can know whether we are expressing self-awareness properly in life or not to see if we are on the proper trajectory. And to get to that point, if you uh, I'm recording this around lunchtime right now, actually, so I believe this is the part where Anthony Bourdain recommend the cream sauce, but I I don't know what you're eating. Cream sauce might be disgusting with your what you're actually eating, so either recommend the cream sauce or I don't. I'm not a chef, and as you'll find out later, or as you just found out later, Anthony Bourdain really that wasn't either. So that's interesting. I'm not good with these transitions, if you can't tell. I'm still working that part out. It's different writing shit down versus talking about it, but we're trying over here, folks. We're trying. I appreciate you bearing with me in year three of the of the podcast, so we're going to move on. <laughs> the person who first taught me the concept of self-awareness was, interestingly enough, Colin Cowherd. Cowherd, one of the most prominent sports talk radio personalities in history, has lasted so long to become one of those names for many reasons. While mostly pushed forward for his somewhat outrageous takes on sports matters, Cowherd, as he has aged, has become something else to a lot of people. He's no longer a rampant hot take machine like the Stephen A. Smiths and Skip Bayless's of the world. Instead, he has taken on the role of Uncle Colin, and largely centers much of his commentary, which still focuses on sports, in the overall frame of living a good life. It was this framing that drove me to Cowherd's content in the first place. The sports world was in much need of a balancing act to all the head-ass commentators out there who had begun to discover the combination of internet and the ridiculous takes you can do on the internet. Remarkably still, Cowherd has begun to tone down his takes to garner an audience. He has thus cultivated one of the biggest followings in sports media by specifically not doing what his contemporaries have done. It's been, a it's been a brave venture, but one that has proved incredibly fruitful. Cowherd, unlike most of the others that engage in the opposite side of the sports commentary sector, has a decent enough reason to act with his counterparts. Collectively, his parents went through more than eight divorces. He has a difficult relationship with his family, to say the least. He grew up in the Pacific Northwest in cold and depressing weather. This made Cowherd a tough and very emotionally distant person, and forced him to adopt a competitive personality to chip his way up to the top. But Cowherd, over time, and this is what Skip Bayless, for example, I think this is a great example of the antithesis, and the antithesis of Cowherd has not done, learned something that most highly successful people in any industry don't. You don't have to act like an asshole to be a massive success. The chip on your shoulder does not need to stay there forever, and more importantly, that chip does not have to grow into a boulder. 
you can let things go by the wayside eventually. And to quote Colonel Tanner from Red Dawn, all that hate will burn you up eventually. The Colin Cowherd we see today is a direct result of his life that was largely defined by the chip-on-his-shoulder personality that grew him to be one of the biggest megastars in the history of sports radio. Cowherd, realizing that he didn't need to say the same forever, changed his demeanor, adapted, and now is living a life that most people would dream of. He's made a lot of mistakes, including forsaking time with his children, getting divorced, and burning bridges with countless colleagues. But, without that experience, he wouldn't be in the best place he's ever been with his kids, and a happier second marriage, and doing his dream job while being a serial entrepreneur on the side. That massive shift in Colin Cowherd's demeanor is a direct result of the thing that he constantly preaches about on his radio show, which has grown unbelievably more popular in the age where dying cable and radio programming has claimed more shows than one can count. Self-awareness. The moment that best and most notably showcased the brilliance of Cowherd's insight on the ability to know yourself was when he interviewed NFL quarterback Baker Mayfield back in 2018. Mayfield, who was then coming off of being drafted first overall by my Cleveland Browns, had defied all odds by going from a two-time walk-on to the first player drafted in his class out of players such as Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Everyone could identify with Mayfield. He was the classic sports underdog, the one that was going to go up against all odds to achieve his dream. The only person that was outspoken and not buy about not buying what Mayfield was selling was Colin Cowherd. However, Unlike the rest of the sports media complex, Cowherd's main criticism was of Mayfield was not as tangible as like the fact that he was short and relatively unathletic. Rather, it was for the one thing that everyone, regardless of whether they thought highly of Mayfield or not, liked about him. His attitude. Mayfield had the same issues that Cowherd had. He had a chip on his shoulder that he refused to dust off. He was a narcissist, only caring about himself at the expense of everyone else. Coward constantly focused on the fact that Mayfield celebrated himself before other teammates, never took much ownership for his actions, and had been in trouble with the law. Cowherd, never fully relenting to his new self, kept poking the bear of Baker Mayfield. And Mayfield, after a while, had had enough, and came on Cowherd's show to defend himself. And afterwards, the viral interview that now has, I think, more than a million or two views on YouTube was largely, quote, won by Mayfield. He, quote, owned Cowherd during the nearly 20-minute-long segment poking holes in his argument with a smug bravado that's been trademarked ever since. Even Cowherd admitted that Mayfield had gotten the better of him during that exchange. He was trolled mercilessly afterwards, particularly when Mayfield won Rookie of the Year and led the Browns to a playoff win two seasons afterwards as the quarterback of my Cleveland Browns, who were coming off of only one win in the prior two seasons before Mayfield's arrival. However, things began to change when the topic of money was brought to the table. Mayfield, who had the typical rookie fifth-year option coming up, wanted, like all rookies, to not have to exercise it by demanding a lucrative contract extension from the Browns. At the time, Mayfield was riding high. That number he had in his mind was reportedly floating around with the Dallas Cowboys had just given their quarterback, Dick Prescott, $40 million a year at starting price. Baker Mayfield, to anyone with a keen eye for football, was not nearly worth $40 million a year. And, to be fair to Mayfield, hardly any quarterback is worth $40 million a year. The biggest person who thought the opposite was Baker Mayfield. He constantly bloviated about how he was going to once again, quote, prove the haters wrong. How he was going to, quote, get what he deserved and, quote, shut up the critics. But unfortunately for Mayfield, he did get what he deserved. At the end of that season, Mayfield was rated at the bottom, as a bottom seven quarterback in the NFL in every important statistical category. His throwing shoulder was damaged because he stupidly ran into a defending player out of anger after throwing an interception. 
The Cleveland fans and media turned on him after he called out everyone but himself in interview after interview as the reason why the Browns' season was in the toilet. And, most importantly, his contract extension vanished before his very eyes when he was traded to the Carolina Panthers for a mid-round draft pick and replaced with former Houston Texans quarterback Deshaun Watson. He is now currently fighting for the backup quarterback job of the Los Angeles Rams with a man called John Wolford, who I guarantee you about zero of you have heard before in your entire life. Baker Mayfield may have won the battle with Colin Cowherd, but after the two years of Baker Mayfield's life, the last two years of Baker Mayfield's life, it is evidently clear that Colin Cowherd won the war, because Colin Cowherd was absolutely correct about Baker Mayfield. Nothing that he said about Baker Mayfield's intangibles turned out to be wrong. They all came back to bite him in the ass and completely derail his NFL career. The central point of Cowherd's reasoning for the dramatic rise and fall of Baker Mayfield was the exact same as nearly everyone else who we always talk about falling into the same pattern. Without self-awareness, you will never fully be prepared for what happens when your life completely and inevitably switches itself up on you. The only constant part of life, it was once apparently said, is that it changes, and it changes often. When Baker Mayfield was so caught up in his own self-perception that he was not able to change, he was completely backhanded when his life flew off the rails. The thing that must be understood about self-awareness, the reason for its importance, what Colin Cowherd got and Baker Mayfield didn't, is this. Self-awareness is the ability to see yourself for who you really are, not for who you wish you really were. This is where most people understandably go wrong when it comes to applying self-awareness in their lives. The reason behind this is that these people always skew towards the latter, false half of the above sentence. They see themselves for who they wish they were, rather than who they really are at the present time. They put on their rose-colored glasses and look at the thing that benefits the least from putting on said glasses. Themselves. So why do we do this? The primary reason that we put the rose-colored glasses on when we gaze at ourselves is because we don't want to see ourselves as what we are. Broken and weak creatures in more areas than we can count. We want to protect our personalized reputations as much as we can. We don't want to admit to ourselves what we know to be true. That we have a lot of work to do in a lot of areas. Our inherent laziness and sloth that is built into the DNA of every human being comes out, which tricks us into thinking that we don't have to step up and fix what is fucked up about us. You cannot hit what you cannot see. When you force yourself to not see, see yourself for who you truly are, for something that we would prefer to be, in its place, you rest on your laurels, confident that everything's fine about who you are and where you're at in life. You succumb to your own denial and hubris by sitting back and reveal, reveling in the non-existent fact that you're perfect just the way you are. You don't have any work to do, when you think about it. You'll just sit back and force people to orbit around your self-imposed reality by forcing them to accept what you and most likely they both know to be untrue. However, this, if you couldn't tell already, does not actually solve any of the problems that we all have. Simply sitting back and wishing away all that you know is deficient about yourself does not make those deficiencies dissipate. The second rule number three in Jordan Peterson's 12 rules is don't hide unwanted things in the fog. The inability to be self-aware about who you and what's who you are and what's going on with your life will enslave you to the trap of the fog by getting you to constantly bask in it, moonlighting in the obvious secret to all the things that are fucked up about you but that you refuse to fix. Seeing ourselves not as what we are, but as who we wish to be, does another very harmful thing. It cuts us off from feedback. Anyone who tells you that the opinions of others don't matter is feeding you a line of bullshit. While some opinions are certainly completely useless, like those who actually don't give a shit about you and have invested in your life, the feedback from the people that do the opposite are completely invaluable in what they can do to help guide you throughout your life. You are not omniscient nor all-powerful. 
You cannot be your own counsel in life. You need people in life to help you walk through it. You're not nearly as smart nor as wise as you think yourself to be, no matter how, many smart, how smart and wise you may actually be. When it all boils down, the importance of self-awareness, the main purpose for its utility, is that it introduces us to areas that we can grow, evolve, and improve in. If you put blinders on where you're weak, you will never know that you're actually not as good as something that you could potentially benefit you or help you out in life. All improvement starts from noticing something that isn't good, as good as it should be. That sentiment is true as in lifting weights, as it is in relationships, as it is in how we go about advancing our career. If your perception, particularly about yourself, is inaccurate, you're going to get your face caved in by reality whenever that change comes to fuck your life up. Self-awareness is absolutely critical in a world that is rapidly changing and evolving. If we think that ChatGPT took the world by storm and threw it on its head, wait until the hundreds of copycat iterations of ChatGPT come after it. Wait until we get all the new innovation that is going to decimate industries, create new ones, and alter billions of lives. All innovation compounds and accelerates throughout time. It's only going to get faster, which means that in order to keep up, we have to go just as fast to keep up with the times. Neither you nor the world will survive if neither you nor the world doesn't know who you are. If you aren't aware of who you are as an individual and what can sustain you throughout the brutal times of life, you will not have the basis for a meaningful existence. Your life will be based on a lie when the will compound in the opposite direction should and when life comes to kick you in the teeth. It's inevitable that it will happen, but what isn't inevitable is your preparation for when it ultimately does happen. Self-awareness, as I mentioned earlier, is also the cornerstone and starting place for a value-based and driven identity. Without knowing who you are, you cannot adopt values. When you cannot adopt values, you become adrift and easily taken advantage of by people who may or may not have your best interest at heart. In a time where so much bullshit is floating around the world, and particularly on the internet, that is something that you cannot allow to happen. A value-based identity is the only reliable identity you can adopt in times of massive searches for acceptance among groups. Identity groups, when adopted as the core of your being, are the killer to individualism because you will be surrounded by liars. It is a lie when you forsake who you are at the altar of someone else. It is a lie to not know yourself by simply adopting what someone else says you should be. The most important thing about self-awareness is that, when no one else is willing to tell the truth, you will have at least one person that will. Yourself. Thankfully for us, the truth only has to come from one person. You will certainly do well when it comes to that category. However, the truth does not matter if we do not value the truth in and of itself. That is how we've gotten into most of all the trouble we're currently in with our culture. Throughout all the issues that plague our society today, most of them come back to the fact that we didn't stamp out the liars that propagated the seeds of these problems throughout our world. Now that they've grown into the monsters we now have to contend with, we only have ourselves to blame for not owning up to the fact that we were too weak to stop the liars from taking the truth out of our daily lives. The truth does not mean anything if you refuse to value the truth. If you don't value the truth, that, by necessity, means that you value what is untrue just as much at the minimum and more at the worst. You stop living in a world defined by reality, but instead in a world full of decayed hubris. Lies begin to form the basis for all that you do in the world, which begins to corrupt that world as the lies begin to fall apart when the inconvenient but necessary truth begins to allow themselves to unravel. Unfortunately for the people that choose this way of living, when the thing you base your life on begins to unravel, that life itself begins to unravel along with it. The key to the truth, then, lies in the ability to be honest with, about, about yourself and with yourself. 
Not to be, quote, authentic with yourselves, nor to live, quote, your truth, a thing that can be easily lied about in the case of the first or is completely ridiculous concept in the case of the second. Being honest with yourself, being self-aware, is when you have the strength to stop lying to yourself about what you actually wish to be true about yourselves and replace it with what is actually true about yourself. When this is done, you will finally be able to chart a clear path forward in the future with a sure lane in front of you about how to get there and what to avoid on the way. This is absolutely necessary for a world that, as mentioned, is constantly changing and shifting to conform to a changing and shifting culture and the people and things that comprise it. Change in our world is inevitable. Just as importantly, the pace of change in our world is even more inevitable. If you are not able to adapt, to cover and move, you will be caught in the buzzsaw of the past, something that proves fatal in our current cultural arena. Too many people are caught off guard today because they simply have refused to be honest about their current situation in life which has allowed life to dictate their world to them rather than the opposite. But there's good news, however, and that good news is self-awareness. Self-awareness, fortunately for us, is the tip of the spear for all the good things that you want to happen in your life to have a chance of happening. The reasoning behind this is because, no matter how much the culture or the world changes, self-awareness, if, if applied consistently, never will. If you're continually honest about yourself and your place in the world, it will matter very little what that world constitutes. All you will have to do is step into the arena and play the game that is being presented to you. You may not win every time, and no one ever does. But if you're being honest about the game that is being played and the role you must adopt in order to have a shot to win, you will fare far better than most. Life, essentially, is a game of numbers. To win, you would do well to give yourself as many optimal shots as possible in the hopes that a good portion of them will go in. Nothing in life is ever stagnant. The world surrounding you is always changing, and even when the world does stand still, there's a good chance that you could be changing along with it as well. You are far from a dynamic creature. Human beings change far more often than we think, especially when we take this upon ourselves. There are always things about yourself that you need to know to be fully present in your environment. You absolutely must know how to respond when certain situations are thrown at you. This is impossible when you don't know who you are and if you're different today than you were yesterday. Life is a game of information. Whoever has more information, and more importantly, whoever applies that information in a more optimal fashion, has a far better chance at winning this game, and the games will be played further into the future. Knowing this, a certain ethos should begin to become apparent. It's not okay to not evolve into who you are as a person. It's not okay to allow yourself not to adapt to a rapidly changing world. It's not okay to not be in tune with who you are. All of these things will end up setting you back in life and, therefore, make you vulnerable to all the tragedies in the lives of people who do not see themselves honestly. If this ends up becoming your life, you will end up becoming a victim to life. Who you present yourself as matters. It's not okay to lie to yourself about who you are and what, what you stand for and what you give a shit about. It's a disservice to the world and, more importantly, to yourself. Self-respect, sadly, is becoming more and more of a relic from a time long past. Not many people value it as much as they should in today's world. This is a very sad thing. Self-respect is the basis upon which anyone does anything meaningful. Without it, you are left standing on an altar of doubt and insecurity, which are two places you should never, that you should never be deriving important life decisions from. No one likes the person who was stuck in high school and so how many people apparently respected them but now don't. No one likes the ex-boyfriend who is constantly clinging to his past relationships and whining about how he fucked them all up. No one likes the rapper that keeps making the same music over and over again and expecting the world to conform to his desires of what he thinks is good while discounting the market for whom the music is for. 
These people all lack self-awareness. The thing that will allow you to adapt to what the world and you actually is, not to both who they both wish they were. Tradition and the values that are reaped from tradition is and are very good things. However, they are also, by definition, limited things. Tradition, like anything else, devolves and decays into excess when it is too relied upon for value. When tradition becomes rigid, when it becomes the sun rather than the planet that orbits around the sun, you become dogmatic, stale, and uncompromising. You force yourself into a cage and lock yourself in from the inside. You cut yourself off from, exper from experienced freedom, experiencing freedom rather, because you have become too afraid to see yourself what freedom is like in the first place. Self-awareness allows you to succeed in all areas of life because success in all areas of life comes from the ability to find your own way to thrive within it. You, by the nature of humanity, are not someone else. You are your own person. You are a sovereign individual. You have your own strengths, weaknesses, and personality that encapsulates all of them and everything else that makes you up as an individual. And therefore, it makes no sense for you to adopt the strategy of another person because you are not another person. You don't study quadratic equations in dental school, it turns out. You are you. Being in tune with that fact is the number one contributor to a person who can realize success. Success in life is directly correlated to knowing the good, bad, and ugly about yourself. When you are all aware of it, you can begin to chart a path forward towards a desired vision for the future. And that vision, when composed accurately, should be reflective of how you can use yourself as yourself is constructed to get to a point where you want to get to. There should not be something at the end of your vision that is not what you want, want nor what you can achieve. There is no exact formula nor process for doing well in something that is applicable across every single person. All those people who study quadratics or enrolled in dental school, for example, all got there and will get out of there by doing different things, adopting different habits, and conducting themselves in ways that are specific to their success. There will be people that try to hopelessly copycat everyone else, that try to fake it till they make it or whatever. Little do these people know, however, that eventually, all lies catch up with the people that tell them. The piper must soon be paid. It's only a matter of whether you wish to pay him early when you have enough time to recover via your own honesty, or later, when all of your life has been built upon a lie. Much of life is how you respond to the circumstances that make up your life. How you respond to a situation is far more important than the situation itself. But sadly, so many people today are victims of their situations rather than conquerors of their own decisions. Good decision-making, particularly when it comes to the lens that you view yourself through, is the best self-care you can ever give yourself. Making good decisions, perhaps the greatest path you can chart toward a valuable life, is the best place to start on your path to self-awareness. It is the best and most honest check that you can level on yourself to know that you're doing the right things at the right times. While some principles in life are certainly universal, your path to getting to your desired end state is certainly not. All people, yourself included, have different paths to get where you want to go in life. This is a terrifying but necessary truth that we all must swallow. Much of life, in essence, is a leap of faith. Sometimes, and more often than any of us would like to admit, we must have the conviction to stand up for what we know and jump into what we believe will get us to where we want to go. Fear is built into our DNA for a good reason. But fear is never always right either. Being courageous does not mean that you should not feel fear. Being courageous is knowing that something should be feared and yet going against it anyway due to the fact that you will know it to be good for you once it's done. While fear is necessary to avoid unnecessary suffering, 
It can also serve as one of the best motivators for going into a new season and situation in life should your life demand that you enter into it to serve your better, more self-aware self. The reason that self-awareness should be the preeminent value in your life is simple. Without self-awareness, you will never truly improve other than within your own delusions that you comprise in your own head. Those, at the end of the day, do not matter except to promote your own feelings of goodness. But something is not good unless it serves you in a constructive fashion. Being delusional does not do this. Rather, it only sets you up for an extreme failure and dramatic suffering should you fall for the trap of taking them too seriously. No matter what your, what your self-care or self-love, whatever those bizarre words mean, routine is, no one on the outside will care should it not benefit the world around them. To deny your need for self-awareness is an outward display of narcissistic and self-centered denial about your true place in the world and whether or not it affects the world in a way that is good for people outside of your own selfishness. In a world that will be forever defined by compromise and relationships with other people, only adopting a relationship with yourself is a very, very bad strategy. Therefore, self-awareness, if done properly, should be at the forefront of your thinking when you do anything that is worth doing in life. If it isn't, you're deliberately feeding into something that isn't true, i.e. a lie. The ability to know when you're properly expressing something, as important as self-awareness, is crucial for the ability to know if you're on the path to making good decisions in life. As such, a proper framework is needed to know whether or not that we're on this right path in the first place. Proper self-awareness comes when, naturally, you become aware if you're expressing it properly or not. Should you not have been honest with yourself, you should see yourself more as being you should see yourself being more honest. When that begins to happen, you should see two consequential things. First, you should see your life getting a lot more awkward, miserable, and generally uncomfortable. Second, you should see your life start to improve afterwards, even if that improvement involves some things sucking for a long time. Unfortunately, if you have not been self-aware for much of your prior life, that time will surely be longer than those who have had those tough conversations with themselves. Your relationships will immediately begin to reflect this as well. If your entire self you presented to the world turned out to be a lie, most of your relationships will undoubtedly be based on lies as well. Those will begin to suffer and fizzle out, which will force you to truly examine the people you have within your life to make this transition. The people that you hopefully have not lied to should stay, and the people that you have lied to may very well go. You must be prepared to make peace with both demographics of people, because it is inevitable that they both will happen. Finally, you will begin to have a reckoning with the most important asset that everyone possesses. Time. Your time and where you spend it are a direct reflection of your values. If your identity as a human being was not value-based, based on a lack of self-awareness, your entire identity will be ripped out and replaced when you start to undertake this new self. Your old identity will fall away and die, along with everything that was important to it. This will be an incredibly painful part of the process. You will be left with A and probably several gaping holes in your life from the time you spent on doing things that didn't bring you value because of lack of self-awareness. Even more painfully so, you will see that all the time you, you spent trying to put up a front was wasted because it wasn't trying to pursue what you actually were or who you actually were as a person. It was merely a mirage, a cruel twist of the keeping up with the Joneses knife that will sting like a motherfucker when you realize how precious what you gave up really was and how worthless what you all gave it up for really is. But at the end of the day, 
you need to know that this process is very much worth it. It's always better to live in the light of truth than to put yourself in the shadow of lies. Even if you lied to yourself for the longest time about who you really are, which you're both good and bad at, and how you want to live your life, there is always an opportunity to change for the better. One of the many great things about self-awareness is that it can be adopted at any time in your life. All you have to do is have the courage to flip the switch on and follow its commands when it tells you to. But how do you know that you're doing so properly or not? The interesting paradox that evolves when you take a new stance of self-awareness throughout your life is that you were always tempted to go back to the shadows. You will always be tempted to lie to yourself and not to the work necessary to be the person that comes because of you doing the hard work on yourself. It is much easier to lie to yourself than to tell yourself the truth. But since the truth is worth it, we must find ways to check ourselves when we are tempted to go back to our old ways and not be tempted to embark on the journey that will lead us again to a path defined by falsities. You must have a system in place to see whether or not you're going down the proper path. With the three checkpoints I'm going to lay out, you will hopefully not only be able to see whether or not you are living a life that is defined by self-awareness or not, but also see how you can improve further upon that new perspective of yourself to give you a defined, value-based identity that you can carry you beyond your mere actions and self-perception. So the first point, the first checkpoint rather, and question you need to ask is this. How are people receiving you? This question will automatically inform you as to whether they, whether they see you, if you're being self-aware and reciprocal, if they see you as, you some, as someone that they can trust. This is a remarkably valuable social cue because when you notice it, you'll begin to see just how huge that, the way that other people react to you can tip you off about how much you're being true to yourself. A follow-up question to ask would be something like this. Do these people respond or just listen as you talk? Do they engage with you? Or do they simply act as a break wall for your wave of lies and nonsense to crash into? This is something that is very easy to notice when watching other people. You see them very engaged in the conversation, but you see very little of that same thing on the other side of the conversation. You see an almost cowering factor in the other party, like they're almost scared to remove themselves from the engagement. I'm sorry to tell you this, and hint I'm actually not, but you've probably done the same thing more times than you can count. Lord knows I have, and I'm the one you know, making a podcast about it. It's that invasive. The reality is, most people don't likely give that much of a fuck about what you give a fuck about as you do. If there were a golden rule for the deep, dark corners of the internet that my content inhabits, that would probably be it. A conversation, a relationship of any kind, no matter how deep or shallow, needs some level of mutual ground to stand on. If you refuse to give that to the other person, you probably aren't self-aware enough to stop yourself from shooting yourself in the foot with a sawed-off shotgun. If you're all doing this talk, if you're doing all of the talking and no one is listening, that should be an immediate red flag. If you do not take an either obvious or subtle feedback from the other person as you progress through the engagement, you're clearly in violation of your own self-awareness. Feedback, particularly from those who actually give a shit about you and how you're perceived, is incredibly valuable, as stated before. When that feedback cannot be adequately processed, you're doing a deliberate disservice to how you interact with the world. Similarly, when people don't respond to you and just take things in what you have to say, you should take notice of why that is. Because more than likely, you're steamrolling them in the conversation. They don't feel that they have the room or license to interrupt you and contribute to the dialogue that is being, being presented. And this is not a way to treat any person, specifically if they're engaged with you in a conversation, and even more specifically if there's someone who wants to see you do well. Listening to the feedback you're either given up front or given subtly is incredibly important to your self-awareness. It informs you both when you're doing well and where you need to improve. It invites you in to see what you're, you could be doing and should be doing to listen and pick up on something valuable from the other person. 
Odds are, if you're a self-aware individual, you don't engage with stupid nor vapid people. The person you're talking to probably has something valuable to say, and probably more than one valuable thing to say. As a self-aware person who is always in need of some sort of feedback, you do yourself a lot of favors if you'd shut up and let them say their piece. The second checkpoint question you should go after to complete is the first. That made no sense at all. I totally fucked up that. Jeez, I'm not on my game this afternoon. The second checkpoint in question you should go to after you complete the first is, is what you're talking about and who you perceive to be relatively in balance with what is acceptable. Is what you're saying realistic or is it something that is unattainable and thus a lie? This is really important for the simple fact that should you not be telling yourself the truth about who you're telling yourself that you are, you're setting yourself up for failure on the back end whenever that dream tailspins out of control. This is not to say that you couldn't potentially carve out a niche for yourself. Innovation and new ideas are certainly welcome, particularly in a world where they seem to be drying up more and more by the day. We need people who are outliers, people who bring new ideas to the table to see if they have merit. We need people to take risks, to fuck up, and occasionally succeed if we see the way we can do all things can be made better, or at least not be made worse by trying what that person failed to express, particularly if that space desperately needs to be disrupted. However, innovation and ideas are one thing. Coming way out of left field at random is completely separate in that sense. If people cannot understand where you're coming from on any issue, whether it's climate change or the weather you're currently experiencing outside, your, relative, your relatability falls to zero. And by consequence, your self-awareness button should immediately tell you that you're not able to provide a reasonable perspective for people to engage with. People like to relate to others by seeing what they have in common and aspire to be, not to people that simply want to cause a stir. If you're not socially cued in, it's probably not the people around you that are causing that problem. More than likely, it is you not adapting to the situation that is causing your relatability with others to fall off a cliff. To fix it, you must be able to read the room and see if you're able to successfully navigate it. If you're not, you need to go back and improve whatever it is that in that arena that you want to venture into needs from you to be viable. <laughs> Jesus. Much of our world is defined by the self-defined smart people and our experts and ruling classes who have no fucking idea what they're talking about. Moreover, those people who are supported by many more unintelligent, yet very loud people in our mob that have no idea what they're really supporting. The lack of self-awareness in both of them, no matter what side of the issue that you agree or reside on, hits you right in the face as soon as you lay eyes on it. You should not fall for this trap. It will dramatically hinder you from realizing your full potential as a person and, more importantly, what you can offer to the rest of the world. Third, and most important, check you can level against yourself is this. Do you actually believe in what you're saying? Is what you're saying actually true? Is it reflective of both, of both your own authenticity and the basic truth of the world around you? This is the million-dollar question. The key to self-awareness is self-evident. It is participating in things and doing the activities that reinforce who you actually are as a person rather than who you wish you were. It is communicating to yourself and to others that you are a person of integrity, they will do what you say what you do and talk the way you wish to talk. If you cannot answer yes to any of those questions, there is one thing that you must do immediately. Humble yourself. One of the key components to successfully adopting a self-aware persona is the ability to be realistic with yourself and what you put out into the world. Stop putting false information out there. Stop telling false information to yourself. Your parents meant what they said when they said don't lie. They didn't say it so they can cut you off from fun or stop you from getting what you want. If they knew what was behind that phrase and they said it, they knew that telling the truth, or at least at the start, is not for anybody else. 
because telling the truth at its base level is a service that you do to and for yourself. People like to deal with other real people, not people who see themselves as something that they're not. We live in a world that resembles a house of mirrors. People cannot agree on the fundamental basics of what things are true anymore. To prove yourself valuable to yourself and the world at a base level, self-awareness, a place of truth, is the only place that you should look to start that process. Self-awareness is for yourself first. You cannot live a good life if you refuse to tell yourself the truth. You must have the courage and fortitude to have the tough conversations with yourself around where you need to get better at. You're probably not okay just the way you are, because no one is just okay the way they are. It all starts from a place of value. Everyone, every person on this planet, has value because human life is the rarest thing on earth to possess. And therefore, deriving your identity from a place of value must start with you telling the truth about yourself and the truths about your life, no matter how much they will inevitably be hard to swallow. When you begin to adopt this methodology in your life, other people, sensing the same, will naturally begin to gravitate towards you. They'll want to be around you and make themselves a part of your life. While you must discern carefully about who you let in, you shouldn't block your blessings either. And, at the end of the day, there is no bigger blessing than a life filled with people that enjoy the person you actually are, not the person that you, or they, wish you to be. Self-awareness must be the dominant value in your hierarchy because you cannot have value unless truth comes along with it. Leading with the truth about the most important thing, yourself, is the clearest way to carve out an identity that is not based in, quote, your truth, but the truth. The truth, the great equalizer in a world filled with clout chasing and fraudulence, provides you an invaluable insight about the most important thing in life to understand, yourself. When you begin to understand yourself, who you are, what you value, and where all of it comes from, you will put yourself in the best position possible to reap all the blessings that the truth provides. Like the fact that a good portion of Anthony Bourdain's cooking most likely sucked. But hey, don't you the messenger. May you rest in peace. Okay. So, uh, I am sorry, guys, for fucking up all those sentences earlier. That was that was kind of embarrassing, honestly. But, but also funny. I like to laugh at myself while doing these things. That was a lot of fun. I, I truly enjoyed that post. I flew through writing it. I wrote it in, I think, maybe two or three days. But... Um, it, well, actually, no, like f probably four days. It's still longer than I usually take to write a, write an episode or script out an episode. But, um, I think self-awareness is hugely, hugely important guys. And I think that my big goal with this, with all of you guys is to make sure that, you know, we're just, we're valuing the right things. We're valuing the true things above the things that we wish we were true. And we're treating things as we are most likely ourselves. So I hope that you, this post was valuable in terms of getting an introspective look about what you might be thinking about, what you want to talk about with, in terms of where you want to get to in life, how you want to examine yourself and how you want to take that thing from point A to point B to make your life better. So if that is the case, I'm very thankful for that. I'm very grateful for that. And once again, guys, as always, thank you for listening. Another great conversation coming up next week. And until then, own the day, open your mind. Thanks for listening. Talk to you guys next week. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?